Welcome to Hearty Days, friends. My name's Grant Harris, and I'm an aged lighthousekeeper. And I'm joined today by a woman who's crawled up from the sea, Christopher Taylor. Hello. Oh, such a beautiful voice on you. I'm a singer. <laughs> like the sewing machines. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> real intro, real intro. What do you mean? <laughs> Am I not to be famous? You've summoned me now! <laughs> I crawled from the kelp field for this! <laughs> I've got a conch in my cranny! I've ordered it and back to me, Ma, saying I'm going to be on the radio! <laughs> I swallowed a dinghy! <laughs> Unrelated! Bad editor! <laughs> <laughs> All souls lost. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Hearty Dice, friends! I've floated up from the depths, drawn by the light of my companion, Grant Howitt, lighthouse keeper extraordinaire. Hello! I've made a terrible mistake with the summoning. It's all gone wrong! Hello and welcome to Hearty Dice, friends. Uh, those are our names. Um, oh, sorry, um, Chris is the name of the, of the Kelpie, the Kelp yeah. Witch. <laughs> An underwater horse. Mm. Chris is his name. My name is Grant Harrett, and we do role-playing games and also fun little improv skits. Uh, just to introduce the show, you may be thinking, "Wow, this show sounds great." Maybe just aside from not the first bit where we did those horrible voices. No, I I cannot do anything to that. But the second part, you might you might be thinking, "Wow, Grant sounds even silkier, smoother than normal." That's not a phrase you'd think because it isn't grammatically sound, but you know what I mean. You may also be thinking that, hmm, yes, Chris is capping out the bass on my speakers. Mm. So, the reason is, after 130 episodes, one of us decided to look up how to do sound editing. <laughs> no joke. Somebody mentioned the word equalizers in response to podcasts, and I had to go, what? It was, it was, uh, what do you think it was even in response to podcasts? It was in response to a, to a Kickstarter video. Mm, that was it. And we, when neither of us really knew what equal, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it notated as EQ. And like, I remember the Winamp thing. That was a visualizer. No, but in the Winamp play, you had all those little sliders you can move up. And yeah, down. yeah. I, I I remember you came over in first year of university and you said, "Here you are, Grant. Try this one out." And it was called Eargasm. And I was like, "All yes. right, mate, sure, whatever." But it just made music sound better. Right. It was great. It's weird. Yeah, probably because you know your ears were plugged up. Yeah, it's true. Full of um, yeah. cum. Yeah, I think that's where I went with that joke, but probably shouldn't. Yeah, be. I'm not sure. Um, so we are uh, we are sounding smooth and fresh and reliable and happy, and we are all of those things and more to be here. So why don't you ask me a question? It's time. I'm it I'm bored. I'm bored of all this fucking foreplay. <laughs> Do me now, question style. Do me, by which I mean ask a question and I will answer it. Ruka Wietzer from Reddit okay. asks, how do you teach your players the rules? 
You love having to teach people the rules, don't you? I love it. I think it's great. Everybody should come to a session knowing nothing. And then I should have to spend my precious minutes telling you, Rubes, how to do the rules. Tabula rasa. That's what Chris likes. Yeah, nice blank slate. Yeah, completely uh, completely unhindered by any uh, sort of knowledge. Especially in games that are free online and easily accessible through your phone, tablet, or personal computer. What games that I've sent you the PDF of? <laughs> so yeah, that, this, this, this winds Chris up something wrong. And something I get it. I, I'm okay with it. I play in a very relaxed, casual way with most of my players, and most of them don't know the rules. Most, of it, I think, it comes from a place of pride, not understanding the rules. I've got, I've got to assume because yeah, like, there's no way long, you've had long campaigns where people have not known the rules at the end of the campaign. Yeah, and, and like I'm not, I, I don't enforce the rules very hard, and quite often, like once, once two beers grant comes out the GM, a lot of those rules get pushed to the old wayside, but. Hang on, is it is it two beers grant or is it red wine grant? Because there's two, those are two different grants. A red wine grant will just fight you. Yeah, yeah, two beers grant is still it's it's, it's kind of a cool chap, but yeah, yeah. red wine red wine grant will say something devastating about you and your character at the same time, and just like something really rude about your sister, just like mentioning her eyebrows or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But just like, like that specific. But like, but but like describing her eyebrows as wild. <laughs> ungainly something which could be construed as a compliment if it came up later on yeah, but, but it's definitely say, those not. things are wild wow she looks she looks something anyway your sister is listen your sister's hot i'm sorry it's okay L- listener uh, neither of us have sisters um it's 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 a challenge because like it is uh, as as the games master you're kind of the facilitator you're you're generally in charge of the thing. You'll often trigger the game as well by I mean like you'll say, "Hey, do you want to come over and play this game?" And there's an onus on you to lead people through, teach them the rules. Um, this is bollocks. Mm-hmm. People should learn their own damn rules. The, the 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 point I don't get is when by like session three, mm-hmm. you're still asking me. So I roll a d twenty and add a number to it. I, yes, I, that thing you've been doing relentlessly every game. I do find I think it's kind of interesting because like we have like there's a literacy around it, right? So sure. you and I understand what a core mechanic is, but a lot of people who don't make games for a living or maybe have never read a role playing game, they just like they just come along to a game and, and had a go with something. They don't they don't understand a core mechanic. So despite the fact I've said every time that they've done a thing, yeah, roll a d twenty and add, add one of the numbers on your sheet. To them, like next time it might be, oh yeah, roll four d four. Like they don't understand that it has to happen every time. Yeah, like in in my head, it's like you use a microwave once, you can kind of fathom out how it goes, right? You press go, cooks the food. Well, what about power? But yes, you know what I mean. You've done Depends that a on couple the of times. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can puzzle it out. You've done that a couple of times now. You know, you don't have a hob. Whatever, you're just a microwave person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Half microwave, half person. Like a centaur. Dad was lonely on an oil rig. <laughs> oh, should have seen his penis. Um, <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't made of metal. It penetrated the, sh- the, the shielding. It was terrifying. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Um, Go on. But the fact that people do like the core mechanic over and over mm. and over 
and then forget it mm. drives me wild. Like, I don't mind when people are like, hang on, which number do I add here? Because, like, in some games, there's a lot of numbers there. And sometimes it might be sort of loose or up to the GM, especially games where like, you've got a very limited skill list, so you've got, like, different different uh, situations where it might apply. Sure, and in games with colossal skill lists, again, mm. same problem. Yeah. But the, the just getting the concept of roll d20 and make the number go up with something, mm-hmm. and they don't quite retain yeah. that. So I think what, what we need to do is work out a way to teach players the rules. So shall I tell you how I teach people the rules at a session first, and then we can pick holes in it? Fire. <laughs> Go on. Whips. <laughs> no. Um, mm-hmm. So what I'll do what, is... What, what if, game are we playing, sir? Uh, Call of Cthulhu. I don't mind. Okay. Doesn't matter. I'm a flapper. Good. It's kind of weird, because it's modern day, but still. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is I give... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like there's this, there's this wonderful, there's this wonderful um, style to improv which I absolutely adore, Chris. Where it's it's yes and, but yes and you sound like a cunt. Yeah, <laughs> you really like you'll you'll take someone else's someone someone else's uh, offer and go like yeah yeah prick. <laughs> yeah, whatever you think, you idiot. <laughs> go on. It's mainly because I can't think of something to go next, so I have to shut down your thing so you don't do it again. That's <laughs> Can't let you can't just let you improv willy nilly, group. Go on. There are rules. So you're teaching so, me about these rules. So if we're making characters, yeah, then that's generally a little bit easier. Yeah, there's because there's, you there's go no through time. steps like in yeah. like in D you pick mm. a race and you go, okay, so this is what your race gives you. And everyone's doing the same thing at the same time as well. Yep, and it's all shared, and everybody's got a kind of buy-in. But when you're doing mm-hmm. a one shot and you're just kind of sliding a pre-gen across the table. Mm-hmm. What I'll do is I'll pick out blocks of the character sheet and tell them how they work. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is basement basic mechanic. Mm-hmm. So in Cthulhu, it's you're rolling these dice here to get a number between um, one and a hundred, mm-hmm. and you're trying to get it underneath any of these numbers. Mm. And I'll tell you which numbers it is. Yeah. Now this little block here has got your your sanity in it. This yeah, is when yeah. your brain goes a bit weird. This is mm-hmm. your skills and just like. Take chunks out like that. Yeah. And then immediately I ask somebody to roll something like, so I've got a D12 and a D4. Oh, no. Chris, I've eaten my character sheet. Can I have another one? No, you can leave. You can go. You can so I think the challenge comes. So I think we can look at we can look at video games for this. We can we mm-hmm. can see like how we're taught mechanics in video games. So there is a level of assumed knowledge, like when you push the right stick, then you you look in a certain direction left stick makes you move and it might it might still say left stick to move but it's not move left stick left to move left no you know there's the, there's, the, there's, the, there's an understanding of the tricks there's, there's, there's some intuit there's some, some intuiting and i think like what a lot of games could do with is saying right now people have made the now people have made their characters here is a fake situation to run them through or here is something which is like you know how in James Bond there's always an action scene which doesn't really relate to the plot at the start. Yeah. That. So you get to have a cool action scene at at the top, which is like it's just like so every character has a little thing they do during during the action scene. So it'd be like for the sorcerer, okay, here's how you cast a spell. Here's how this bit happens. Here's here's how you memorize and pick out a spell. And for the fighter, it'd be like, okay, here's how attacks of opportunity work. 
and that sort of thing. And you, you put even, those all together. You could even, interestingly, do it retrospectively. Go on. Like, you could have, like, if it's standard D&D, you could have a bard telling a tale in an, in an, in an inn. Yeah. And be like, and then the mighty sorcerer cast the fireball. Now, to cast a fireball, this is how you do that. This is the main thing your character does. Roll the mm. dice. Oh, but it missed. Because it's D&D and everything fucking misses. <laughs> it's, like in, uh, it's like in most Ubisoft games from, I'm going to say, from the years of 1999 to 2005. They had, a, they had an unreliable narrator telling you the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, in, in Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, uh, the, the conceit is that the prince breaks into this to this fancy lady's bedroom and he's like, oh, I will tell you a story. And she's like, well, okay, I'll tell you a story. Then when the story's over, I'll call the guards. You know, the, the whole Thousand and One Nights thing. Um, and that story, when I was playing, must have gone quite a lot along the lines of, and then I fell down a fucking great big pit. No, wait, no, I didn't. I'm sorry. I'm getting confused. No, no, that and never then, happened. That never happened. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm telling it wrong. I jumped and I fell down a big pit. No. Oh, I'm and entirely wrong. The, the, the dog-headed sand monsters went towards him and he ran round them twice, bumped into the base of the stairs, tried to run up the wall for a little bit and just kind of slid down it. Then he drew the wrong weapon and pounced in the wrong direction. And then, Princess, I did the same jumping attack 12 times to defeat the miniboss. <laughs> you, you hot yet? Thankfully, then it auto-saved. <laughs> you want any of this? <laughs> Can I break you off a piece? You having this? Huh? <laughs> you want some of this Persian delight? That's good. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so you, you could do that. I, I, think, I think that there's, like, games could do more around this of saying how here is how we teach people to play and like it's not it's not the responsibility of a game to teach itself how to be played but i think people expect a certain amount of that and also it makes it it makes it a better experience sure i I don't i do i do feel i think we should flag at this point that there's another thing that we really don't want from video games in this Mm -hmm. which happened in every ubisoft game from around 1998 to 2005 Mm -hmm. which was the abilities Mm. Which in D and D would be so. Here's your twentieth level character. <laughs> it's hugely complex. <laughs> Just this massively intricate character that requires a certain combo. Like, cool, take that away. Now you've got ghost sound. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, the abilities isn't quite. Um, it it works as a sort of preview of how the game's going to play. Yeah, but it's, it's. I think the abilities is purely a physical thing for me, rather than Absolutely. like, like yeah. it, it's a it's a like oh I can I can do a triple jump. Like that's not really going to affect my game. Although, what if we did put triple jumps into D and D? Anyway, just numerically increasing a jump, isn't it? Well, you get to do it. The, the point is, um, I would say as well, Dogs of the Vineyard, although it isn't accessible, and it has a really good tutorial system uh, where you play through. Uh, like you, you, you have a question, and it's like it's, you have like a, a hope. It's like I hope. I learn how to control my anger when I'm uh, when I'm at the seminary, the the training grounds mm-hmm. for dogs, and then you go through this really straightforward, low stakes mission, uh, low stakes role. You learn about that, and no matter what happens, you get a trait from it. Yeah, and so it might be, I can't control my anger, D six, or I can keep a lid on things, D six. It, 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 it is quite a nice way of highlighting that the words don't really matter from a mechanical point of view. 
Yeah, exactly. Th- those are straight fiction. Anyway, I think I think we've got on on this one for a while. We have. We've... Um, the the trick yeah. is to um simply start a revolution in tabletop role playing where we teach people the rules. Yes, or keep weeping at the table until they either don't come back or learn the damn rules. Yeah, that's true. Punish their characters. That's always good. Oh, yes, and them. Mm. Mm. And them. Yeah. Jack Rosetri. Nope. <laughs> Jack Rosetree. <laughs> Goddamn Reddit names. Jack Rosetree writes in, Thought experiment. A 30 foot by 30 foot setting. I see. It's still a challenge here. Could we get a setting in a 30 foot by 30 foot universe? Well, you're going to have to play, like, abstract shapes. Why? Well, there's no z-axis. There's no height. Oh, you're right. That's yeah, where that's with that. some depth, yeah. mate. Oh yeah, mm, mm. that's a problem. What about um, like uh, like flatfish, like skates and stuff? You'd be alright with that, wouldn't you? I mean, they're still three D. Stingrays. Like, it's again a three D creature. Um, um, a pancake someone's drawn eyes on. Mickey Mouse. You can get mm. away with Mickey Mouse because he's L- a picture lying down. Yeah, as long as he's lying down, obviously. <laughs> he can so stand a up. very sleepy Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Let's let's assume there's also a thirty foot ceiling okay, as well. Okay, then that makes sense. So the traditional thirty foot by thirty foot is an orc guarding a treasure chest, right? Mm-hmm. I think we could work with that. And I'm thinking we use that as a base. Mm-hmm. So they're in the dead center. Mm-hmm. So five foot square for the treasure chest, five foot mm-hmm. square for the orc. Okay. We've still got a lot of space around here. Mm. What do we put in it to create an entire world? I like the idea of a some sort of portal through which mysterious things arrive. So the the 30 foot by 30 foot isn't the totality of the setting, but say like there's there's a there's a like when you open the treasure chest there's different things in there and it isn't a door you can't get out through it, but it can put things in. Or you can okay. you can you can exchange things. So maybe like the the treasure chest is a, is a Chinese room. Sure. So there's there's actually two things that would work off of this. Or right. one like an automatic one. Um, is that the 30 foot by 30 foot is a cell. Mm-hmm. Um, either like you're part of a science experiment, medical experiment, criminal, something like mm-hmm. that. And the game takes place entirely within that 30 foot by 30 foot. And you can do external interaction with guards and things or whatever. I, I they, suppose that, you know, at that, that point, the setting's still outdoors, isn't it? Like we, we can I still guess, see, yeah. yeah. What's, it, what's um, the second one? But, well, um, the other uh, on that same theme, there's one where mm. you can have just like you know you're in a white room and they post in things that are experiments. Now that's kind of fun, isn't it? I quite. But we can come back to that, but just yeah. quickly run through the other type, mm-hmm. which is um, I can't remember who who came up with it, but it was a it was a consideration of purgatory, mm-hmm. where you're in a you're in a square room and in the middle of the room is a well, mm-hmm. and there's a load of other people with you, and every now and again. Somebody jumps down the well. <laughs> okay. No, and because nobody comes back, you're not sure there is a good nobody. Thing or not. Nobody knows what's down the well. Okay. You can stay in this room for literally ever, mm. for eternity, or you can go down the well. Mm. And it's like a philosophical thought experiment type oh, thing. I'm going right down that well, mate. I'm jump jumping the head of the queue. Right, like you're going to go down uh, the well. Yeah. Although, mm. what, what if, if something bad? Yeah, and what if something changes afterwards? What if, what if what if you jumped up, you jumped down the well and someone's like, "Hey, I got chicken wings." And you're like, "Ah, fuck!" <laughs> this room just got to be the best room in existence, Throw and they've gone down, down the well. <laughs> Tell 
must be a wig. <laughs> you got a seven up out there. <laughs> Can a <I> pop? <laughs> if nobody comes back with this really long straw made out of other straws, does come back. I guess to catch the guy, to catch someone, you'd have to really throw it. Oh yeah, down there as well. So they're probably you're gonna get going faster than them, right? Mm, and like, and and before they hit terminal velocity, so you've really got to hope that guy's walking in there with a box of wings on the seven up just as you're like, no, <laughs> yeah, you got to notice him yourself. But Tracy, Chris, the well is it? That's that's the setting, isn't it? That's the setting. I love that. That's the setting, and so it's so it's, it's waiting for Godot, the role playing game, except a. Um, there is a big well which leads to heaven or hell or the void, it's not entirely sure. And B, eventually God arrives, he's got wings. <laughs> At some point in the future, somebody's got wings. That's a one pager in that, isn't there? Maybe. I don't know. It's not exactly cheery. No, at no point are you an animal doing a crime, so no. I don't really see what the point is. So you're all raccoons in this room. And there's a lot of old famous raccoons there, and a well. <laughs> Descartes is there, but he's a raccoon. You know, like he was. Like he was. Descartes, they're going through the bins. He's not a raccoon, but he is going through but the bins. No, <laughs> but there are no bins. It is a metaphysical bin. Oh, God, he's the got the wings. Get him out of the fucking wings. I'm going to throw these down after the last raccoon that jumped. <laughs> and Sartre, <laughs> you're in a room. There is a well. And from that well come a series of philosophers hungry for bones. <laughs> Would you like another question to get us yeah, away from this? Yeah, yeah, okay, please. Okay, this comes from, I believe, Lemon Pepper Trout. Mm. Homebrew world advice. Okay. So this is my first time making a homebrew world for an RPG. I've got a lot done. Starting location for PC is a decent bestiary, basic lore. But was wondering at what point I should start building and actually running the game. A homebrew world something you should add to as you play the game? Or should you have a and d sized guidebook before you start playing? So this is a really interesting question because I like it. It puts the GM in a different role. It puts the it puts the world in a different role because if you have everything defined beforehand, then when the player's like, "What's down the street?" then you can know what's down the street. You can have this whole world which they can explore. However, it won't change. One of the problems with writing everything down is you get static worlds. And the idea, like the idea of killing your darlings, really doesn't work in that in in that place because like you've got this, you've got this perfect world and everything's working. The players turn up, and if you've defined everything beforehand, it's not as much fun. And also, there's the chance that they're immediately going to go, oh, I go to this inn. Shit, I haven't finished ethering that oh, one yet. God no! Go to yeah. the other one. Go to the other one. Hmm. And because and... you've written it down, you don't feel like you can go. Well, I'll just swap the inns over. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there, there's kind of a an adherence to the purity of your work. There are there are many books of just absurd detail. Like here is every single street in a town, and here's every single shop and the people who live here, and the names of the people and what's in the houses. And that is perverse to me. I can yeah. see I can see why you do it because it's like building a doll's house. It's, it's it's like building you know it's like The Sims. It's like it's like me building my little toy soldiers. Yeah. You're making something and there's a story there, and it's not it's it's a whole complete functional thing. And I think there's something quite attractive about that. But I don't think it makes for good games. Like every set every setting is homebrew. 
Yeah, what, it like, starts off homebrew and then becomes published. No, sorry. Um, what I mean, there's that as well. Certainly, I, mean, I, I think like so, some people are are, are going to be like, I'm going, to, I'm going to set out to just make a setting for publication. Like Spire, I would never say Spire was homebrew. Well, I, my my point is that at, at some point we made it up as a setting, right? Yeah. So we yeah, did exactly right. what a homebrew a homebrewer did. Yeah. But we In, pushed it to a certain point we took where too it far. was actionable by somebody else. Mm. Like most homebrew, if you just gave your notes to somebody, somebody would go, the fuck is this? Yeah, like most most of my homebrew games would not really make any sense. Yeah. My point is, my point is, um, no, so, so, sorry, sorry I, uh, I got it backwards. I, I didn't explain it properly. Every game that you run, even, even if you're like, I'm going to run a Forgotten Realms game. Okay, cool, it's homebrew Forgotten Realms because... All the NPCs are going to be different from everyone else's. Like they might have the same names, but they're going to have different behaviors. They're going to want different things. Everything you use, because you are an unreliable um, source of, like, you can't do the same thing as everyone else because you're working from this limited set of data. It's going to have your own spin on it anyway. And I think like the idea of, oh, I've made this homebrew campaign. Well, like you can you can set like Thirteenth uh, Age, for example. I've run a lot of Thirteenth Age games, and I use the names of the places from the map and yeah. nothing else. And I completely make it up as I go along. And technically, I'm still running Thirteenth Age. And I think that there's a like there's no there's no real difference between things you decide at the table and things which you decide beforehand. That's just you making a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would encourage people to play it as soon as they can. Yeah, I mean, the big thing to have beforehand if you're going to do this is, like, what are the playgrounds for the characters? Mm. That doesn't need need to be, like, well, this inn is a playground, as it were. Like, this is a place that you can do stuff. This oh, other inn is a thing you can do stuff. Like a, theme, like a themed, like a playground-themed bar. It could, could be. Oh. Yeah, you need, to, you need to work out where the, play, the characters mm. can interact and do things. So, for instance, in your game, if the entire center of the Earth is like ours, lava, mm-hmm. rather than being a hollow world, that's not a playground for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's it's the surface okay, that yeah. you're dealing with. Um, and we're going to do this mainly in politics. Okay. So the playground areas there are, like, the halls of power rather yeah. than gutters. and um, And, like, gentlemen's clubs. Yeah, and then uh, work and out what other kids are in that playground. Hmm. Like, yeah, have to come up with some names if you want. I'm terrible mm. at coming up with names, so anything yeah, I managed to do beforehand it, yeah. is useful. Mm. Um, but it means that you can, you've got some movers and shakers, you've got some factions, you've got mm. something, you've got some levers to flick that the play that that, that can um, change things for the players. Crucially, put people in it. Yeah, people you make have, the setting, not yeah, the world. You have to put it in because if there's no people in it, then sure you can go and explore around whatever. But it's sterile. It's a, it's like a puzzle. It's like it's, mm. it's a dungeon, you know. And the idea of having people is people can react, people can change. And the more of it you keep in your head, the more of it you keep in potentia, potentia, uh, the more the more exciting and satisfying and reactive it can be. Uh, and you don't have to you don't have to abide by anything you've already written. Yeah, and if you just if you make notes <laughs> as you go. Hmm. Then, if you want it to be incredibly coherent, you can go. Well, this is the inn you've been to before. The door still squeaks, mm. and yes. and you can use those small details, and you can use those character names you've had before to have, have a, a sense of contingency. Is the wrong word? Continuation. Continuity. Continuity. That's it. Thank you. That's the one. 
I think I think as well, like there's a real fear coming around in that you in that you write this game and you get this you get this sort of momentum and it's like, well, I've established these things as true. These things are inviolate and we can't change these. Mm, and then yeah. and then and then you find yourself like you find you've written yourself maybe into a corner. Something which we discovered when we were doing Heart, the the, the variety of locations which we could first have in Heart. We had like, well, we've got Stone Corridor, Meat Corridor, Tooth Corridor, and that's about it. Yeah. And so we had to sort of do not retconning, but just well retconning. Yeah, and we just changed it. Yeah, we just changed it because it's because worlds can change and that's fine. And being able to like one, it can have changed. It can have changed in fiction. Or two, the previous one was a lie. Or three, both are true. Or neither. Or neither. Whatever. We're just making it up as we go along. We recommend you do the same. But I think that once you once you get these things that are put in place, it can be really scary to start adding stuff which changes with that, or which fucks with it. And you get to the point where you write this huge unwieldy thing, but it's not a novel. It's not a story. It's not a and nor is it especially good to set a role-playing game because everything's already been defined. You've already answered all the questions. Yeah, and I, I guarantee that your players are going to find the one thing mm. that you don't know enough about mm. and drill into that. Yeah, and, and then you've wasted X amount of time. <laughs> yeah, like it just that, that straight up feels bad. Mm. I mean, everybody's been at that thing where they've kind of written an adventure for a given value of written, mm. and the players ignore it. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's fine within the concept of role playing games, but as a person, you're like, but I did all that work for this bit. I did that. I'm sure I can use that later, but right now, it, you're just avoiding where I did work. Would you, Would you like to hear a question? I'd love to. Nick writes in. How do you tend to get to know a character? Is there a particular point where you start to feel a sense of being able to inhabit them, e.g., understanding their physicality, their history, their speech, etc.? I'm not sure I've ever gotten into a character to that degree. Hmm. Honestly. Do you have like a stance? Do you have like a pose? Like, do you stand in a certain way or sit in a certain way when you be a character? No. When you be a character? When I, when I be characters. No, I, I don't. I don't put on voices. Mm. I talk like myself. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever... Yeah, that feels weird because I don't think I've ever actually inhabited a character like a like a, a method actor does, you know? So, like, that's the thing. There's There's different... There's two sort of ways in which you can look at this, um, which comes down to Brechtian and Stanislaskian concerns. Mm. Um, in Arc the at him. sorry, Harkatim, Harkatim with his degree, not in theatre mind, so I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I made those names up. <laughs> Pure coincidence to anybody I'm, living or dead. I'm just reading them off the board behind me in a sort of usual suspect style way. <laughs> Spoilers, by the way, for usual suspect. <laughs> it's a type of mug. Um, so, the idea is that you can you you can inhabit a character and feel what like how they'd feel and react how how they'd react, and the other option is you look at them like a story piece, like uh, a character is primarily there to tell a story. The story is more important than the character, which I which which I believe is true, um, mainly because there's like say six of us around a table and we're all telling a story together. So my individual character doesn't matter as much as the overall narrative. So you can use your character simply as a tool to interact with the world. It's a diving bell. You can use them as a like story positioning and put them in place and say, "Hey, I think it would be fun to do this scene." Like one, th- I learned. I, th- I think I learned about six years ago that you could suggest to the GM that actually it'd be fun if we did this scene. Yeah, and no one stops you. I'm like, what? You don't. Just, you don't just have to sort of hint at them. Yeah, nobody's going to ask you to leave. 
Yeah, and I think it's a bit like like we're not encouraged to talk honestly to one another. I think just mm. in, just in general, you know, allowed to say what you want, etc. So, I I have inhabited characters. I have sort of like one of my favorite things to do is find is find the way to sit in my seat, right? That a character would sit, so it's slouching or sitting up really straight, and those are really the only two options you've got. Um, but do you remember we were in that Changeling campaign, and um, our friend James was playing a very tall character, so he he stood on his chair and crouched down the whole time. Oh yes, that was very strange. It was weird, but like it, it kind of added because it made us, it made him taller. Mm, yeah, for sure. It's interesting because I think I think I do this more as a DM than I ever have as a player. Well, that's, that's I mean, it's, it's equally useful. Like you no, should no, certainly I, do it I as, a, as a GM. That, but yeah. like it's it, when I'm jamming, it's much more shorthand because NPCs are shorter lived, and there's so many of them. Uh, they have fewer rules, and yeah, they don't matter as like, much. Like yeah. they, they they have drastically less screen time than a player character. Mm-hmm. So they're all shorthand. They're all quick. They're all thrown away at the end of it. Mm. But as a player, someone, a character that I'm playing for, you know, however many months in some cases, I've never gotten into it. It's weird. Well, I, th- I think as well, like the, the idea that, that play, playing a playing a character like, as as a player, there's an element of this is an extension of myself, and I yeah, own, I, I, I only get, get incredibly one. self-conscious. I only get one. Yeah, you know, and like I can't throw this away. I can't treat this guy too. Um, devil may care because if i get in trouble i don't get another shot i've got to make another character you know blah, blah, blah. my actions have consequences whereas the gm your actions have consequences and you start mm. running it like a sketch show yeah so you get to have like you get to have these really big sketched out rough characters and it's like well listen i need to communicate to the players that this is the person and i'm not just going to say this person's sad i mean this person's going to come and go oh, how you doing folks i'm all right yeah and you get and you get to just you, you get to play really bold, daft stuff, and it's exciting. And I think that that like for our medium, that's almost better. Yeah, and it worked really well with the players being more nuanced as well, like because mm. it it kind of shows that they're the important part, right? Yeah, it's like in like in an anime, uh, which is a which is a Japanese cartoon, Chris. But oh, they thanks. have um yeah. Like you know, you know how like in, in in like a school anime, you'll have the main characters, and everyone else will just be like paper doll cutouts, and they'll have like sixteen foot long bright red hair. Yes, the main characters will definitely look different yes. from everyone else, but every, but like like often like like characters who aren't main characters won't even get like facial features and stuff; they're just background. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of okay. Like that, that's like we're allowed to have that, and I think that if you. If you feel like you're, I've gotten into NPCs much more than I've gotten into PCs. Mm, I think yeah. because because I feel confident. I feel that cool. I can inhabit the space. I know where the limits are. Then the limits that I set, rather than as the player going like, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna draw my sword and do something super cool. And then I roll a one and I drop my sword and shit myself. And <laughs> I have so little control over that character. That I am buffeted by the slings and arrows of fate. Shall we do some some games? Should we make some games now? Yeah, yeah. Let's make some games. Let's let's show these motherfuckers how we really be. <laughs> what we actually is at. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? Jingle. You love to say jingle, don't you? I love it. It's great. The, 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 you, you go jingle, and then you have to get it immediately afterwards. Right. I might this time if I'm if, if I'm editing, I might just fade it in just before you say. <laughs> so, so, so you like a complete idiot. <laughs> No, put it in before I say it. 
<laughs> Jingle. Damn it! Did you ever want a game to exist? But not enough to make it yourself. Grant and Chris make games. Ren writes in. Mimics. An adventurer eating game. Hmm. So mimics, as we all know, are dungeon assholes who like to hide as, as, as random random gear, traditionally treasure chests. Uh, I'm not sure whether they're assholes. Same and way that like, 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 tigers aren't assholes. I, I think they are if they're chasing me. I, I, okay, sure. I, I, I think you're putting human morality and asshole status on the creature, but okay, mimics yes, are. Yes, I absolutely am. Yeah, okay, cool. In which case, yeah, and also let's have them as intelligent because it's more interesting to play them. They're, they're dressed up as chests and they wait there for decades. I'm not sure whether they got a say in it, but yeah, okay. Cool. They, they can transform into chests or yes. tables, floors, walls, ceilings, cloaks, and I believe a sword. And uh, I've seen a miniature for a fireplace mimic. Oh. Which I really like. Now, here's it's the other an thing. an awful spider. I think mimics are cute. They are e- a bit. Even the even those fucking dark souls looking motherfuckers with the their big slime. Runs. Yeah, yeah, they're Ugh. terrifying. But still, I did like that hat that gave me the head of a of a of a mimic. <laughs> you know, big big flickety tongue. I think I think it's a pretty cool idea. So he, so, so here's my plan, right? Right. Card game, or maybe mm-hmm. like um, cardboard game, like set a watch. Which we sure. played, played played about a month ago, which is primarily cards, but you've got a board to sort of keep track of things rather than Arkham Horror, which is big boardy stuff. Yep. And there we are, it's the two two board games I know. So you play a mimic, and you get certain certain types of things you can be. So like you all like t- to start off, I know how to be a chest. Yeah. And I and I get the chest card, and then I have to hide in a room. That, that matches the area of a treasure chest and then we simply wait for five years and so every <laughs> like, like like yeah yeah real, no. every turn of the game is like a year of fictional time as adventurers come to the dungeon and you know whatever whatever happens they come here they're like oh man a, a chest full of and you eat them whatever then every adventure you eat you get their xp Okay. So the more dangerous they are, the more XP you get, the more XP you get, the more XP you need to level up, whatever. Then you've got two options. When you level up, maybe three options. One, change into more stuff. Gives you more flexibility. It also means that you're not all hiding in the treasure room. (laughs) There's no treasure in it. It hasn't been for years. We can also run it generationally. So if you die, you still get to have kids who who carry on your legacy and and, and (laughs) share your children. Baby mimics learning from dad. Like purses or wallets. <laughs> but imagine them like ducklings, Chris. Oh, just tottering about and like falling on their lid. <laughs> oh, I really hope they they, they quack as well. <laughs> or, or they they do, they do this sort of uh, this sort of signet <laughs> thing. So that they're all tottering around, and that's really cute. But then adventurers come, and they're like, "Oh, hide!" And so they'll all sort of hide, and then like the baby mimics will be like, "Candlestick," <laughs> and do that. Um, and like maybe one of the cards you could be is you have a little swarm of, of baby mimics that you play, you know, whatever. So one, turn into other things. Two, um, more mimic abilities. So stickier, bigger, eatier, louder. Longer tongue. Longer tongue, that sort of thing. And the third one is you get to influence events in, in the dungeon. Okay. So 
you want to try and attract a good you, you want to try and attract people with lots of XP but who are fundamentally idiots so paladins mm-hmm. because if they got lots of XP but they're smart they won't they'll just stab the chest before they open it you you want you want a real idiot who need, who's poor as well yeah, 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 a real desperate idiot. So you have to you have to attract a certain sort of person to the dungeon. So like you'll try and maybe get a an easily robbable wizard to move in, and like maybe because because you, your pseudopods can do things, you can write and say and say wanted evil wizard to live in our lair, please, and advertise <laughs> in the local papers that sort of thing. Sign him up to the pools so that when he wins, he's got some money. Mm. But. I really like oh the pools they were a thing weren't they they were here once upon a time are they still anyway I just really like the idea of turning into different things and, and and like and like maybe you get to sort of influence the way the dungeon is built and you're like okay so we need more treasure rooms because all of my children are chests <laughs> and they they need somewhere to live and then we need to and then we need to get certain adventures in and we we need to, we need to install traps except this trap is a mimic hang on hang on hang on. <laughs> God, hands- sorry, sorry, a mimic trap. And when the rogue disarms it and eats his hands. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, what this, was your idea? This, this dungeon's gotten overcrowded. Everybody who's not a mimic, put your hands up. Nobody? My God. <laughs> so how about we flip this on its head just a little bit, right? Oh, I don't want to hurt its head, but okay. The wizard, the, the wizard who, who owns the dungeon mm-hmm. has done a dramatic working. A great spell. Right, yeah. And it has gone awry. Oh no. And has teleported probably three quarters of his labor of his laboratory mm-hmm. to let's call it London twenty nineteen. Right. Uh so he's got a very open end to his laboratory now. <laughs> and the mimics have just fled like parakeets into the parks. Oh, okay. So there's so there's now a there's now a load of parakeets. Mm-hmm. Over time they've formed their own little society. Right. And you're investigating a load of disappearances in escape rooms, LARPs. <laughs> certain kinds of bar. <laughs> certain kinds of bar. Theme bars very heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you find out that there's an evil cabal of essentially chests mm. uh, who are devouring their way around London. Who are running London. Yes. The mayor. Or, the mayor is actually a lamppost with teeth. Come here, girl. Come here and sit down on me. <laughs> You've been a very naughty girl, haven't you? Looking in places you shouldn't have been. This is sorry. This is all. I didn't make it very clear. This is a treasure chest saying this. Okay, it thank you. Right. Yeah, not it wasn't. Just it it wasn't that though. wasn't my Sadiq Khan impression. <laughs> <laughs> Bang on. <laughs> well, he's the mayor of London. I think they should all sound like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's okay, but I want to play a game where I can have lots of little ducklings. Chests, that's fair. You know? Chests, chests, I mean chests, not ducklings. Well, chestlings? Ooh, that's a bad word. Purses? Anyway, whatever it is, I want, I, I want little swarms of them following me around, and I want to, um, feed adventurers to my little baby children. That sounds, that sounds great. Especially if, if that could sort of happen semi-off-camera. Yeah. So, so like, like the card would be feeding time, and there'd be a really happy wallet, and then just like a hand, <laughs> <laughs> like just just some blood coming in from out of frame. Yes, that would be nice. I think. I think as, actually, as the wallet also eats all the money, so it looked like a bigger wallet, and that's a juicier, a juicier <laughs> target. And then goes and hangs out near a pub. 
<laughs> oh, great, a wallet. <laughs> and then, and then, rather than just being, just lying on the floor in the cold, it just mm-hmm. starts gluing fifty p's to the to the pavement, and then just waiting. <laughs> and then it leaps out. Yeah, it just jumps out. Just right out, right out the slot in a post box. Okay, listen. I don't think we've quite got what the idea of this game is, but I do like it. What what <laughs> what suggestions have you got this week? Okay, no, says brand ambassadors. A war fast approaches between the great powers. You play as diplomats sent to defuse tensions and also sponsored to sell some fine products and services while you're at it. Okay, I'm into this. So I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Yeah, it's it's peak capitalism. Mm-hmm. There are no governments. There is only Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just all of the brands like Samsung are at war with Toshiba. Right, yeah. Um, and you play the, well, as it says, the diplomats, in quotation marks, uh, between between the factions, mm. trying to broker peace. So you'd play like a, like you, you'd be of a special class where you're allowed to, even though you're an Amazon branded employee, you'd be allowed to go into the Google. Um, the Google Plex, yes. Yes, very good. Thank you. Very clever. Um, okay, okay. So, so it's a diplomacy game? Yeah, kind of. So Coriolis has a really nice... Is it Coriolis I'm thinking of? Mm. You wouldn't know, because you don't know the inside of my head. No. So the co- co- No, it's... Um, co- co- I'll start this again. Fragged Empires has this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fragged Empires has this, where one mm-hmm. of the character classes is like a, essentially a brand ambassador. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a huge tech company, mm-hmm. and you work for them, and they're capitalist assholes. Yeah, um, and you're very good at schmoozing, and you've got all this like money and tech and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I like that you the idea that you're where you're allied changes your equipment. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about Cyberpunk is like equipment as character. Yeah, so like you'd your your job would be your class in quotation marks. Mm. Um, so there'd be essentially hackers, facemen, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But everything else about your character is defined by which company you currently work for. That's kind of interesting. Or, or were born into, I guess, Have, is probably more likely. Having your um and, and and like displaying your company brand. Oh yeah, like it's tattooed into your skin to like. But like, but like, you like you could choose to display it, and that counts as advertising space. So you'd get more money. Yeah, yeah, you get a, you get yeah. a slow tick of creds. Yeah, by just having and, the your tattoo exposed, by having t-shirts on that sort of thing. But like, you'd have okay, cool. So I'm playing, um, I'm playing ambassador for a. Oh, it's quite tricky, I suppose, because like I I, I want to have lots of different like lots of different. I suppose that there, there could be maybe subsidiaries of of, of a single corporation. Because yeah, sure. like the challenge, I think, would be having loads of different corporations come together in that way. But you can have different subsidiaries. But okay, so I'm going to be Amazon's biotech, um, yeah, uh, wing. And so my my special power is I can teleport. By which I mean I upload my consciousness into someone else's body. Mm. And so that gives that gives me effectively meat teleport. Amazon cloud services. And you and you could have various you know various side, but or you could have like sleeves that you plug into, or you could have. Um, like and like changing your job would be a, would be a cool thing. Or like defecting could be a, that would oh, be massive. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe you play defectors. Maybe. So you've got this kit, and it's and and like your your arms only work for as long as you can afford to keep paying for them, or yeah, until like, 
your arms only keep working while you're on payroll. Mm. So you have to try and cheat your way around that. And then what? And then once they find out, it's like that scene in Looper where that guy starts losing fingers and thumbs and shit. Mm. Uh, except uh, it's, it's just just your bum falls off. <laughs> I've also got this wonderful image of like the super rich just look like people now. Right. right okay. Yeah. But the incredibly any, yeah. poor are just covered in brand tattoos mm. because it's constant advertising, and they get trickle. They get a, a trickle of money every time somebody walks past them. Hmm, that's interesting. I think I think you could do a lot with that world and setting, where like, um, there is, there is so much money, hmm. like a, a billion times more money in the world than there is now, mm-hmm. but it's even more unfairly distributed. Yeah. So them losing like ten quid a day to to, to somebody on the street advertising mm. is, is is literally zero. Right. Yeah. Rather than it being almost no money, yeah, um, but, so it it's, it's, it's like it's like uh, Fiverr or um, or like banner ads, you know, yeah. like like, yeah, it's, like it's all, banner all, ad money. Fact, sorry, it is Spotify. Yeah, yes. I think the challenge is I don't want to. I don't want the corporations to do well. Well, they're doing very well financially, but like they're not doing well morally. That that that. that that's the issue. So, like the thing which bothered me about Cyberpunk is that you go and work for the you go and work for the corpse. I'm like, but I don't want to work for the cops. Yeah, I mean, I in things I like Netrunner, obviously, you're definitely not. Like, you're working outside the system. And that and that really works for me. I think, like, the problem for me with playing brand ambassadors is that you're innately tied to this company who you're supposed to at least be, like, you're supposed to be allied to? Well, maybe part of part of character creation is, like, you visiting um, a, a backroom um, brand switcher. Oh, cool! Who like toggles your your Amazon tech mm-hmm. to to a self contained network that you run? We're gonna spoof it. Yeah, you sp- you spoof an Amazon login constantly. As far as Amazon knows, you still exist. You just haven't left your house in three weeks. Yeah, but then like certain attacks from the enemies, um, like check your your hardware or turn it off. That's what I mean. Like they they, yeah. they check your hardware. Like they they ping you and don't get the right response. I quite like, like the idea like the of being able to and things. Um, of being able to DDoS someone's gun. Yeah, but you, in this case, you could also DDoS their wrists. Mm. Quick question: mm-hmm. Is it fun to play? I don't know. It sounds kind of fun. It just sounds like is it is it bleak? Is it too bleak and not in a sort of camp way like like um, 40k is? Well, I don't think it's anywhere near as Campus Forty K, but I don't think it's too no. bleak. I think uh, you get you some get jokes some, in there, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, you get you get some interesting stuff happening. I mean, yeah. you, know, you can have the world's most nightmare creation around you and still have fun in the game. Mm. And you, the and things you're doing are the, are the thing that's interesting against this backdrop. And you and you hold it lightly as well. Like you don't like. I, I, I don't think like even though poverty would be a thing in the game. I would like it to be less of a focus, be more of like an objective focus game rather than cool. You've got to not starve to death. Yeah, and I mean, that's a problem be, for other people, not for the not for the characters in this story. It's going to be hilarious when, like, like we've been found out. Why? What's happened? I've just seen the Hamburglar on a roof, <laughs> and like, there's this, there's this like Genji-looking motherfucker <laughs> on the roof, but with the Hamburglar's head, just just like the servos whining as he's building up a jump, and he leaps towards you, fries spread like blades. 
Nah, I'm back in. I'm back right? in. Right? Like, That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But, like, you, you, you have that ridiculous thing and pitch it as horror. Mm. Like, Pepsi only has one enemy, um, one mm-hmm. one person in its army. It's just one Pepsi man. Mm-hmm. Versus Santa so Claus. So he's terrifying. Yeah, versus yeah. Santa Claus. And, like, you, you're walking through the gutter and there's just, like, all of these old cool spots from 7-Up. Oh, no, those poor things. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like, like really... There's, a, there's abandoned, like, mascots. Yeah, I, I get, like, maybe the joke isn't that it's Amazon and it's Google and, like, the mega corporations we're looking at now. We go back 20 years and we try and get that nostalgia bent. But, like, well, even what... then, what you, what you could have is you could have all the companies with, with made-up names, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're future companies. And yeah. all of the companies now... Aren't, don't exist anymore. They all got bought out. They all got destroyed and eaten up by mm-hmm. larger cor- corpse. Mm-hmm. So you can have anything. Clown burgers. Like, yeah, like Ronald McDonald at the head of an international crime ring because he's mm. going to turn to crime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we just, maybe, maybe like we need to make a cyberpunk game about, because it's like, I think my favourite bit we've got here is the Ronald McDonald, uh, uh, the hamburger elements, like mascots. I think there's something really powerful there, I and mean, like being able to play post-apocalyptic fast food mascots. Yeah, but like they're played, they're played straight. They're terrifying. Yeah. Okay. Rather than being comic, like there's a comic element to them, but they yeah, need to yeah. be like you don't play them, do you? The players don't have control over those. No. Things. They're no, like no, they're no, like they're contract just... killers, like Halloween Jack and Slay. Yeah, they're just awful, terrifying things, but mm. they look like fucking mascots of different it. companies. I love it. Branded assassins. Yeah. Ah, that's pretty cool. All right. I love that. I think that's it. I think that's like um like so our choices are um mimic husbandry or um I can't come up with a funny name for the one which you just made. Well, it's, I mean it's, the the original title was brand ambassadors. Mm-hmm. So yes, something along those lines. What do you which one do you think we should go for? So while I adore little mimic duck chains, mm-hmm. I think there's actually a game in Brand Ambassadors. I think there's a game in Mimic Duck Chains. Yeah, make, but it's a board game. Make, I don't well, do that's, those. That's, that's all right. Well, I play them, but I don't make. Them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So it's you're playing people on the run from a big corporation, going back to the old corpse, going uh, back using their networks and their trying trying to flee to the old city. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, wait, where you can get and like and like this, this, this kind of a bow, like it's kind of a bohemian vibe to it, and like and like the like the city says that oh well, everything's perfect in the city. Why do you want to go outside? It's just it's just it's just a wasteland of screaming ghosts out there. But actually, it's not all that bad. You know, you just, just have like to walk everywhere yourself. There's well, <laughs> there's like there's like trains that run on on electricity rather than I don't know um t- Twitch donations. <laughs> And so, like, and, and so you're trying to defect from this, and so you, you've got this fantastic sort of, like, this flight through this cyberpunk, weird, twisted brand city. Maybe maybe it could be Orbital. Mm-hmm. That could be good, you yeah, know? Yeah, you have it off-world. We've got, we, we finally get to write our Neuromancer thing. Finally. Because we've been, like, that's basically, I think that's both of our favourite book. Yeah. Is that the way, is that a sentence? What, you know what I mean? Sure. We both like the book very much. We've never done a cyberpunk thing in our lives. Yes, we have. I'm oh, yeah, we did. Punk. Yeah, we did write that stuff. Yeah, okay. Anyway, point is, um, Brand Ambassador is the mm-hmm. game for the week. Uh, we're going to get into some trouble, so we're going to need some money for lawyers. Of big lawyers. 
but like the biggest available lawyers. So if yeah. you go to patreon.com forward slash hearty dice friends, you can give us some lawyer money. We've already got one lawyer, his name is Tim, but what if we could have more? Bigger we're lawyers. Up against Google here, so we're gonna yeah. need lots of them. Yeah. Well, or just one really big one. Nine foot tall lawyers. An yeah, army Tim, of them. Tim's normal sized, so please give us some money. We're gonna get Tim in the gym, and we're gonna give him an extra set of legs in the middle of his current legs. Ooh. Yeah, right? Fast, but also <laughs> Oh yeah, he, he falls a lot, he's not trained. <laughs> Uh, also, uh, aside, aside from funding our eventual court case um, and um, the the resulting drug habits, you can also come and check out the Discord. Uh, we are where we can you can chat and ask ask questions and generally be cool. It's a really lovely space. Uh, you can also get access to exclusive episodes of of stuff which we don't release in the main uh, uh, main account. The interesting one we've got one coming up next week. Do you have a little chat about that, Chris? We do. We have my public breakdown. Yeah, Chris, Chris Taylor's Public Breakdown is the name of the show. Where I re- finally get around to reading one of the books on my shelf. Grant, ask me questions. <laughs> it's, it's kind of an interview show. Uh, so we, we talk about we talk about Simba Room, yeah. which is a which is kind of a uh, Nordic. Is it Nordic? Germanic? Who's it wrong? Well, I mean, it's, it's Free League, so they're Nordic. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a spooky... Uh, Semi horror in uh, going through this creepy, this creepy forest and duffing up elves, uh, sort of game. It it sounds really interesting, and I, you know, we, I think we think we that we what we were interested in doing was talking about why why we find things interesting in games, celebrating mechanics which we think are cool, uh, celebrating settings which we think are cool, and trying to talk critically about this sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, I mean, it specifically isn't about doing reviews. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Us talking about the book and cool stuff in it, what, and why it's interesting and what it does right and what it does wrong. Uh, yeah, like I'm not going to do books I don't like because that that's that's actually kind of our job is to <laughs> do that. Uh, and and like, well, it's nice to make jokes and and give in inverted commas advice on this show. We want to just sort of see if we could do something a bit more, you know, less embarrassing. <laughs> what do you mean embarrassing? Like, like people say, oh man, I listen to your podcast, I love it. And I have to be like, oh, I'm really sorry, man. Oh, you do you, the whole thing? You listen to the whole. Oh god, good lord, good heavens. Uh, so yeah, look forward to that. If you're a, if if you're a patron uh, or if you're a patron, if you're not, you can come and sign up, give us some cash. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at HDF Podcast uh, or just down the street if you can find us. That's cool. We love you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.